Well, Merry Christmas. I wore my red sweater today. Just, uh, uh, that's all you get. But, uh, <laughs> and I love the worship today. Let's pray. Father, bless these words in this time together. In Jesus' name, we said together, amen. amen. Well, uh, it's been said that uh, one of the most simple definitions of, uh, of faith is believing God's promises. Uh, to, to have faith is to believe the promises that God makes. But today, a pastor has chosen us a theme that we're going to go through for part of the Advent of the promise that, that has been made, which is fulfilled in part and will fully be fulfilled one day. And that is, uh, of course, the coming that we see of Jesus Christ. And specific phrase today we're going to look at is the phrase son of David as part of the fulfillment of those promises that God made to us. If you have a Bible, uh, we're going to go through the scriptures today. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And uh, it says this, I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your head and you will uh, strike his heel. The, the promise comes right at the start of creation in this part of the curse on the serpent. And in that curse on the serpent, it says in yellow, he will strike your head. Uh, and, but it, it is talking about a day when that's going to happen and we believe that that's really what happened in part through the work of the cross that Christ uh, lived on and did for us. Uh, the other thing I learned in this, though, again, uh, I celebrated uh, 50 years of marriage last month, and, and uh, one thing I've learned is, you know what? You should listen to your wife. Uh, and part of the reason is very scriptural right here. You'll see it says to the, the serpent, I will cause hostility between you and the woman. Throughout my lifetime, there have been people, and my wife will say something like this, I don't know what it is, but I just don't trust him. Uh, and I used to think, okay, that's, that's you know, your opinion. And uh, some of these people were friends. Some of them were just people I really hardly knew. But I've learned over my lifetime to listen to that with an exclamation point that sometimes I think you ladies have a, have a sense about something in that beautiful way that your left and right hemispheres of your brain are connected that, uh, that men don't necessarily have to the same extent that you do. And, and so it says, between your offspring and her offspring, there will always be this, this tension, this, this hostility. It's a strong word that's used. But the day is going to come when you are going to be defeated soundly. Uh, the next kind of, we're following this thread now, okay? So we've got there the beginning of this thread through Scripture. Now, if we go a little further in Genesis 49.10, we come to this verse. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. So as it's talking about the, uh, the Israel, you know, you've got Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob, and, and then we've got these 12 tribes, these 12 children, these leaders of the different groups of the tribes. And one of them, his name was Judah. And it says that here's going to be your role, Judah, in the, in the whole kind of cosmic plan that God is working out. 
it's going to be your tribe that is going to have the scepter, is going to have the symbol of the king, uh, is going to be held by your tribe until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, to whom all nations will honor. There's going to be one who's going to come one day, and everyone will honor that one. But until then, there will be kings, and in, in the flow of, of Israel, that's going to come out of the tribe of, of Judah. In, in fact, if you look at Jesus', Jesus genealogy, Matthew 1, uh, verses uh, uh, 2 and 3, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. And then Judah is the father of Perez. As you're going through, this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And it specifically says that he comes out of the tribe of Judah because that's where the kings come from. That's where the rulers come from. Uh, the in the structure of everything we'll get to this a little more later but generally the religious leaders were of of what tribe help me out so let's see if we, who knows the tribe of what usually levi was the the levites were the ones that that kind of came from but here we've got uh, jesus coming out of this line of judah here's the second part of that promise uh david in second samuel 7 David says, Sovereign Lord, in addition to everything else, you speak of giving your servant a lasting dynasty. You remember that it said in Genesis 49 that all nations will honor this one. And now David recognizes from God that the leadership he's going to show over Israel was going to be a lasting dynasty. What a, what a promise it was that was given to David. Uh, some of you have had a, a family business, and one of your dreams probably one day is to be able to turn it over to your children. Uh, my, my sister, I have uh, two sisters. The youngest one uh, lives on a farm in Iowa in a, a town uh, nobody here has ever heard of called Odebolt, Iowa. Uh, it's not a fun place to live right now because her phone never stops ringing because of the Iowa caucuses going on and everybody wants to know how she's going to vote and uh you know the the farm that they have is a good sized farm and and yet uh their daughters have one lives in nashville and her husband's a musician the other one lives in arizona and her husband sells insurance and nobody wants the farm so this farm that has been built over three or four generations now good chunk of land, but nobody wants it in the family. And that's, that's very difficult for my brother-in-law because he feels like he built something and he just hates to kind of see it not be cared for in the future by someone, but the family just isn't interested. It, it, to have a lasting dynasty, to know that what you do, what you build, David, it's going to be so successful and you're going to be able to pass it on. Uh, in Psalm uh, 132, it tells us, the Lord swore the oath to David with a promise that he will never take back. I will place one of your descendants on your throne. If you're, if, oh, if. That's a big little word, isn't it? If your descendants, 
obey the terms of my covenant and the laws that I teach them, then your royal line will continue. But here's a strong close, forever and ever. Wow. Yeah, there's a clause. They've got to be righteous, yeah. They've got to be, you know, godly people who live by these, these not just the covenant, but the rules that we've established for them. But if it wasn't, uh, if, it, if, it's, if they do that, it'll go on and on and on. And again, back at the genealogy of Jesus, Matthew 1, 6, Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon. Uh, Matthew puts David at the center of everything. If you look at that genealogy in Matthew, you find out that there's 13 generations up to David and there's 13 generations after David. But very clearly for Matthew, it's highly significant that Jesus comes from the line of David, that he literally is, in essence, a son of David who comes out of that line of the leaders that God was going to send and so the reason that Matthew, I think, puts it by design in the center is to show and make that clear to people because for Matthew, David is just so highly significant because of all the Gospels, I think Matthew is the most regal of, the, of those. In Second Chronicles uh, 1, Solomon is talking, O Lord God, please continue to keep uh, your promise to David, my father. For you have made me king over a, a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. And as they had made the promises to David, David's uh, the one who comes after him, another great sign of God's grace, Solomon. Uh, who was Solomon's mother? Bathsheba. Bathsheba. Does that show God's grace? So who are we talking about in the line, in the genealogy of Jesus? Who are we talking about? is the one that he chooses and uses, it's Bathsheba. I've had people say, well, God would never want me. I'm just not good enough. You know, uh, a lot of people grow up. Uh, I grew up in Chicago, and in Chicago, everybody's Catholic. Uh, nobody really goes to church, but they're all Catholic. And uh, one of the things I learned with my Catholic friends is they're constantly trying to show God they're good enough just constantly trying to prove that they can be worthy. And if you say, well, are, do you know you have eternal life? You know you're going to heaven? Well, I'm, I'm working on it. I'm trying. And I, I feel like, well, you are doomed to failure then because you'll never be good enough. You can never try hard enough. It's a gift, the Bible says. It's a gift like at Christmas. You, you take that and you open the package. It's a present that God gives to you. It's not something that you earn. But he says here, God, I ask you to continue to keep your promise. It's interesting here. We're going to look at Matthew 22. Surrounded by the Pharisees, Jesus asked them a question. Always, he was always surrounded by the Pharisees. Every one of these encounters in the Gospels, you have these people just relentlessly following him. I, I, in my second uh, church I pastored, I had a woman, and she had this big notebook, full-size notebook, and she would take voluminous nights, every, uh, notes every Sunday, and I thought, wow, Jan, Jan is just really into this sermon stuff, and, and you know what she was doing? She would go home and check every reference I gave to make sure I, I had not made a mistake in that sermon that she could catch. And eventually, she led half the church away 
into a split because uh, she wanted people who agreed in every point of theology just where she was. Uh, You know, sometimes people can be so scrupulous like the scribes and the Pharisees were. What do you think Jesus said about the Messiah? Whose son is he? And what did they reply? Last line, what does it say? Son of who? He's the son of David. John 7. Um, Others said, well, he's the Messiah, talking about Jesus. Still others said, but he can't be. Will the Messiah come from Galilee? Because they knew that Jesus was from Nazareth, grew up in Nazareth of Galilee. For the scriptures clearly state that the Messiah will be born of the royal line of David in Bethlehem, the village where King David was born. Given the mess that's going on in Israel right now, they have canceled all the services at the, at the, the site of the, the birthplace of Christ that celebrated uh, in, a, in a part of a Arabic Palestinian kind of an area. But they can't have services this year because of all the fighting and killing going on over, over there. But uh, King David, born in where? Where was Jesus born? Okay, good. Uh, it's interesting to me, Romans 1, I don't think we always think of that this part is actually part of the gospel, Paul says, part of the good news of salvation. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born in the King's David's, King David's family line. For, so for Paul, it's very significant. Now, you've, you've seen the flag of Israel. What is the center of the flag of Israel? The star of who? David. David is so significant, you know. It was David and Goliath, you know, great, great warrior. David, King David, the greatest king, the, the writer of the Psalms, the greatest poet, the greatest musician. In so many areas, uh, greatness still respected to this day, still revered by Israel to this day. And as a result of that, here in 2 Timothy, he says, always remember that Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. This is the good news I preach. In, in two different books, he says, as I talk about the gospel, I talk about the fact that Jesus comes from David. It's part of his expression of the good news. And so this thread we're following of the promise that God made from Genesis all the way through Jacob, all the way now through David, just continues to follow through. In Psalm 2, it says, The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Only ask, and I'll give you the nations as your inheritance, the whole earth as your possession. So there was something that David saw that God had promised in the fact that God promised that this dynasty that he was establishing would, be, would, would not end, but would be, in essence, an eternal dynasty that would cover the whole earth. He sees that as part of the continuation of that story. Now, uh, let's look at a different story in Matthew 20. Some of you know this story is found in several of the Gospels, the story uh, sometimes called of just blind Bartimaeus. But as Matthew tells us the story, Jesus and his disciples left the town of Jericho. Anybody ever been to Jericho? You you know, the first thing you see when you go to Jericho is the sign that says it's the oldest city in the world. 
right there on the shore of the, of the Dead Sea. And uh, a huge, large crowd followed behind everywhere he went, you know. I think people sometimes think, you know, you, they put Jesus and he's on the road and he's got his 12 disciples with him or something. It was hundreds of people following him. Tells us there was 120 that followed him all the time. There was an entourage that was with Christ wherever he went. And here again, a large crowd following behind. Two blind men were sitting beside the road. When they heard that Jesus was coming that way, they began shouting, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Now, why didn't they call out Jesus? Why don't they say Jesus? Why don't they, why don't they say his name? Why do they say son of David? And look at the response from people. Be quiet, the crowd yelled at them. But they only shouted louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. When Jesus heard them, he stopped and called, what do you want me to do for you? It's interesting I don't believe there's any other place in the Gospels where you have people who were in this situation of needing healing, who are calling out to Christ like this, who, who use that particular phrase to address him. And why was it that everybody tells them to shut up when they say that? Because uh, the scribes, I'm sure, and the Pharisees who were there probably could accept the idea of Jesus even as a religious teacher. They even call him rabbi at times. He could accept the idea of him teaching the scriptures. Even they could probably accept him at times making claims that sounded like he was saying he was the Messiah. They could, they could handle that. They could deal with that. But somebody saying, this is the son of David... This is the fulfillment of all you've read through the Old Testament. This is the one who was promised years ago, and it's, it's proof that he's the Messiah. How did these men recognize in their blindness that he was the son of David, that he, in essence, was a king and not just a religious teacher? And how does Jesus react? He stops when he hears him say that. He realizes he's not hearing the same old. He's hearing something that somebody understands something about him that a lot of people just totally missed. And the religious leaders would have been dead set against. Because for the, think about the Pharisees. Uh, when I was uh, in Illinois, in Chicago, we had a clergy association in the city of Homewood. And we had a lot of people, including the Jewish rabbi and the Catholic priest and a number of people who were part of that that clergy group. And one day, uh, an older Methodist pastor gave a devotional, and he was talking about the Pharisees and how the Pharisees didn't get along with Jesus. And uh, Donald Gluckman, the rabbi, was very offended by that. He said, why do you talk about Pharisees like they're bad people? He says, I'm very proud that I come from a heritage of Pharisees. My relatives were Pharisees, and I'm very proud that my families were that devoted to, to the word of God. And what you begin to realize is people like that, when they see somebody like Jesus, it's like, well, he didn't go to our schools. He didn't follow the route that we wanted people to follow. He doesn't come from the tribe of Levi. He's different. And they had a hard time getting comfortable with that. But something about these blind men recognize something about who he is. 
Not just that he comes from Judah, the tribe of the kings, but he's the son of David. He's the fulfillment of these promises that God made. Lord, they said, we want to see. And Jesus felt sorry for them and touched their eyes. And instantly they could see and they followed him. Notice the progression. What do you want? We want to see. Jesus feels compassion, touches their eyes, the power. Listen to me. When you're struggling with illness, I've got a good friend who's been told he's got three months to live. And, and I, I talked to him again this last week. I talked to him all the time. And he's a pastor in Sweden, in Stockholm. And uh, I, I just, how you doing, John? How's it going? And he says, just keep praying that God will, uh, Hezekiah's prayer, God will add yours to my life. And I, when I go and I ask Jesus to do that, I believe in the compassionate heart of Christ that he wants to do that. And so I pray that for John Van Dienter, that God would heal him. Instantly, they could see. Does it always happen that way? No, wish it did. And then how do they respond? Well, they follow him. Hey, something's going on here. You're the son of David. You can heal. I mean, we got to hang around with you some more. You remember Matthew 2? Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Oh, City of David. Okay, that's all coming together now, son of David. During the reign of King Herod, about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose. We've come to worship him. And, of course, Herod has this horrific expression of hatred and goes into Bethlehem and kills every child, two years old and younger, kills them all. I was preaching on Christmas Eve years ago, and I was uh, picturing a mother trying to keep a baby from crying as the soldiers were coming door to door killing the children. Have you ever tried to keep a kid, a two-year-old, from crying? You know, the more you try to, the more they sense your nerves, your anxiety, the more they sense you trying to shut them up, they scream louder and louder. And eventually you, you just almost come to a resignation that there's just nothing we can do. And what that felt like. And I got so caught up in that, I twisted and I tore some rib cartilage and ended up in the emergency room that night. They thought I had a heart attack at first because it was just so, I felt the pain of that. That's Herod's hatred here. But the leaders all came together and they told Herod, well, here's where the Messiah is going to be born, the city of David, where Christ was born. Later in his life, notice how Pilate builds on that. 30 years later, uh, John 18, the Pilate went back into the headquarters, called for Jesus to be brought to him. Are you the king of the Jews? Why would Pilate say that? You think maybe the word kind of got around that years ago there was a group of people saying, uh, you know, where is the one who's born king of the Jews because we saw a star and we've come to worship him. You think it was maybe still hanging around and that maybe a guy like Pilate who's kind of ruling over an area for Rome might have been a little concerned about that. And he asked him, Jesus replied, is, is this your own question or did others tell you about it? He knew what was going on. This wasn't Pilate's question. This was from the, the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin. I, am I a Jew? Pilate retorted, your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. 
Why? What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. You don't have the verse, but Herod responds, so, so you are a king. But not of this world. You know, the part of that maybe they didn't understand with David was this, this uh, leadership, this kingship, this son of David ship that was going to be eternal was not of a kingdom in this world. It's not a certain country. It's not a certain geographic location. George Schultz was our former Secretary of State, and he said um, people would come in to his office and he would ask them, uh, okay, here's the globe. Show me where your country is. And the first test, put your finger where your country is. And after doing that for a while, one day somebody came in and they put, it, and they put their finger on the United States of America and said, that's my country. And Schultz says, never forget you're over there in that country, but your country is the United States. You're there to represent us. Take care of our interests and never forget it. And you're representing the best country in the world. And as people who live under the lordship of King Jesus, we serve in his kingdom, under his rule, under his authority over us. And we must never forget that we are the ambassadors. We are the representatives that he has appointed to be his people in this world. What an awesome job we have when you were talking about Christmas Eve, Pastor. Do you know that statistically it's been proven that people who don't know Jesus are more likely to come to church on Christmas Eve than any other day of the year? And statistically, they actually proved that if you ask someone to come to church on Christmas Eve, there is a 54% positive chance that they will come. It's better than even odds that if you invite somebody to come to church on Christmas Eve, probably especially for that evening service with the candlelight and that whole thing. Come on with us, light candles, sing some Christmas songs. It's going to be a great time. They'll come. The odds are in your favor, so don't be afraid to use this as an opportunity to reach out. Now let's close it out here, Philippians 2. Our King Jesus, he made himself nothing, took the humble position of a slave, appeared in human form, Daryl Johnson, self-emptying love is the proper expression of divine status. Moore, divine equality does not mean uh, getting but giving, and it is properly expressed in self-giving love. And because of that, the familiar verse of 1011, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's funny, we talk about Jesus a lot, but one of the phrases I hardly ever hear is this, King Jesus. But I want you to say it right now. King Jesus. He's our king. He's our ruler, and it was promised all throughout the scriptures. And in Revelation, it says he is the Lord of lords. He is the king of all kings. Our benediction, Father, 
Now to the king, immortal, invisible, the only God, be glory and majesty, power and authority, now and forevermore. And together we said...